Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Hello, hello, hello. My voice, I think, is a little bit better, but I'll know when I go back and listen. I just got done listening to my interview with Susan Hyatt, my friend Susan Hyatt, this morning, and oh my gosh, my voice was so crackly. She called it Catherine Hepburn. I call it an old smoker's voice. Holy moly. But I really wanted to get that done looking at my schedule and hers. And I felt fine. It was just my voice isn't sounding so good. So I'm not in pain. And it wasn't about powering through it. We could have rescheduled. But I was really excited to talk with Susan. And I wanted to get this show done for you guys. So by the time you're listening to this, my voice should be better because I will be healthy and well. And today, Susan and I are talking about... Stop waiting for permission. How many of you wait for permission to do whatever it is that you want to do in your life and you forget that you're an adult in your own life, but you still act like a child and you either go from waiting for permission to wild child, like you're not the boss of me. So we're going to talk about stop waiting for permission and so that you can live your life in a certain way that fits for you versus giving your power away. And then we really get into knowing what you want, which is a huge reason we stop what we wait for permission because if we have to rely on somebody else's permission, we don't have to uh, know what we want. We can be the victim and blame somebody else. We talk about disappointment, the mindset, you know, great mantras that you can ask yourself and understand your personal worth. And then we close with self-care and it's not going to be taking a bubble bath. So stay tuned and listen to Susan and I. Thanks for your patience with me at this time. And I'll circle back with you after the interview. Susan Hyatt, welcome back to my show today. Thank you so much, Corinne. It is always a pleasure to be here on your show with your beautiful Kathleen Turner voice. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) It's true. So we're going to talk today about stop waiting for permission. And I'm really excited about that because I think so often as women, we're waiting for somebody's permission to go and do the thing that we want to do or to you know, uh, have time for ourselves or to carve out the time or create the career that we want or, you know, even losing weight, right? The permission of some diet out there, of this is what you can eat and what you can't eat. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts about stop waiting for permission. Oh my gosh. So I can remember as a kid and then someone gave a phrase to it later, which, so my mode of operation just naturally has mostly been to ask for forgiveness and not permission. (laughs) (laughs) And someone gave me that phrase. It may have been my husband uh, while I was in college. Like, you never ask for permission. You always just ask for forgiveness should something hit the fan. And I was like, finally, like my life's purpose right here. No, but, you know, growing up as a woman in the South, Um, I received lots of messages to the contrary of that. And um, as a businesswoman now, I definitely can appreciate having that phrase in my mind a lot, 
that I'm not going to ask permission from anyone because if you're asking for permission for you to live your life in a certain way or for you to operate in your sphere in a certain way, you're giving your power away to an external source. And certainly there, you know, there are things that we have to ask permission for that perhaps, you know, infringe upon the law um, or something like that. But, you know, by and large, I think one of the biggest problems that my clients face when working with them, it, it, it typically boils down to feeling like they have to ask for, for, for permission for what they want or apologizing for what they want and then setting out to to create what they want you know is this okay or would that be all right with you and you know one of my biggest missions is to help empower women to not feel the need to do that to very clearly say what they want go after what they want and the only permission anyone needs is their own <laughs> the only permission anyone needs is their own that is important. And how are you able to believe that? Well, I, I can tell you through the contrast of not living that way. So um, every, every time just about that I have asked permission for something that was important to me, it seems like I have been given feedback, first of all, that the answer was no, or that what I was asking for was weird or wrong or why you got to be that way. And over, over time, when I don't ask for permission and I just do what I want, most of the time, you know, people are like, it's, it's a non-issue. Or if it is an issue, it's on them. It has nothing to do with what I want to create. And so I've actually, by fully embracing, fully, fully, fully embracing that attitude of, I don't ask for permission for anything. Um, the whole sky opened up for me. I mean, every, every single bit of what, you know, when I go back through journals and look at what I said I wanted for that given year or the next couple years, um, that stuff was not achieved by asking people if it was okay. Ooh, that's really good. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. That's really good. So at knowing what you want, don't you find people have a hard time even knowing what it is that they want? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was that person. Um, I actually just spent some time over the weekend with the loveliest husband of one of my friends. And, and he was, he was very much struggling with that, that he had a few interests. Um, you know, he's married, he's a dad of three, and he was feeling like, I don't even know what I want, what direction I want to go in professionally. You know, very, very happily married, happy family guy. But I think a lot of people are like him and that they, they sort of look at, okay, well, I'm interested in fitness. I'm interested in cars. I'm interested in, you know, fill in the blank. I don't know how to do anything with that. And I don't know what I would want to do with that. And um, even even a step further than that, than this gentleman I'm speaking of, I think a lot of people feel this longing for something, but they don't know what it is. They don't, they don't know that it's dissatisfaction at work or they don't realize that it's, 
you know, heartbreak in a relationship. They're just kind of going through the motions of their day. And so when you say like, well, what's wrong with you? What do you want? They have no idea because, you know, another issue that people face is we're so busy and I'm using air quotes around that. And in our modern day reality that people aren't stopping to work on this stuff. Um, when I talk with other life coaches and they say things like, well, everybody knows this when I'm training them. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Almost no one knows this. It's just in our self-help bubble. We think everyone knows it. 99.9% of the world is not pausing, taking time to think about their goals and what they want out of life. They're just going through the motions. Thinking what they want out of life. I mean, that goes back into not having to ask for permission, but really going inside and saying, what is it that I want? And giving yourself your own permission of, I can, I can ask for what I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, right. I, what I think that stops people is that if they really start to get clear about what they want, then it's that, you know, for me, it's that Asian, the losing face, because what if I put myself out there and I say, this is what I want, but I don't get it. So I better not put myself out there. I better not. Don't be brave. Just hide away. Keep myself busy so I don't have to ever, you know, feel that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I think that I just hit the nail on the head that it's it's it can be a super uncomfortable space to be in to um, to admit, to be honest with yourself that things aren't quite how I imagined them when I was eight or nine. You know, my life isn't quite going the way my 10-year-old self dreamt it would go. And when you admit that and that there's something missing, that also indicates some personal responsibility that has to happen with, you know, that mom or dad or your boss or whoever at large is not going to hand you what you want out of life. And they're especially not going to hand it to you by asking permission because that just puts you in a position of uh, being the receiver only if permission is granted. Mm -hmm. You know, as you're saying that, I think about there'll be be times, you know, I'll be going through something hard and I'm like, I just want the white knight to come in and rescue me, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just want that white knight. But then I really think about, I don't want the white knight. I want to be able to do it myself, Mm -hmm. right? So this sucks. It's hard, but I can get myself back up and go do it. And, and it takes a lot of me just working on my own brain and my own mindset, right? So that I can get back up instead of being hidden away. But this idea of, you know, what you want, knowing what you want, I see as a huge roadblock because when I ask people, okay, what do you want? It's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. They just, it's like, I don't know. And they don't even want it. And I'm like, let's just brainstorm it. There's no right answer. Let's just brainstorm this. Yeah, I know it. And it's, I think that that's the other thing is that I I do think that people, this is why asking for permission is so popular because then it's in the hands of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, I think that's a good point that you make that you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to have a plan mapped out. You just have to be willing to turn towards yourself and be honest about what it is that might be a better scenario for you. And I I do believe it's scary for so, so many people, you know? 
Why? Why is it so scary for people? Um, I think that the number one reason is sort of the value of security over freedom. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, I think a lot of people think, well, I should be grateful for what I have because that's what we're taught. And I am a big fan of gratitude, but you can be grateful for what you have while at the same time working towards something better. But I think and I know this was me way back that I should just be, you know, there are a lot of people who, who don't have this job or this life or these opportunities. And so I should just suck it up and, you know, be grateful. So there's some of that. Um, then there's also the fear of what others might think if you admit that there might be something else that you want to do. So the change back attacks, that can happen when you do say, you know what, I think I might want to open a gym or I, I think I want to quit being an accountant and write a book. You know, people are like, what? What you talking about, Willis? And even people who love us can get really, really nervous if we change how they know us. So there's that. And then the big fear of what if I admit that everything isn't adding up for me and I admit that I want to, whatever, be a New York Times bestselling author, and then it doesn't happen. So it's not wanting to also feel the embarrassment if something doesn't work out. Talking about embarrassment, and I really think a lot of that time of that, when we, when we show up and go after what we want, we don't, maybe don't get that New York Times bestselling author title, right? But then mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that shame that we're yeah. so afraid of. Yeah. And... I'm not enough instead of, okay, I didn't get it, but what can I learn from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think that that's a huge fear. P- you know, part of the reason people don't want to go after what they want anyway is because they don't want to feel whatever uncomfortable feeling that is. And plenty of people I coach, they're like, I don't want to feel disappointed or embarrassed. Mm. I actually had this conversation last week with someone And I'm like, you know, if you can just say, okay, I might feel disappointed or embarrassed. And am I willing to risk my ego enough to feel the sensation of disappointment? I'm not going to die from it. Um, But I honestly, when my kids were little, I I did not want to feel embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Like if I took them to the dentist office and they were bouncing off the walls in the lobby or you know, had to go up to the school because of something. The fear of feeling embarrassed ruled me. Mm-hmm. I would do anything to avoid the feeling state of embarrassment, which makes me laugh now because <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I purposefully put stuff out there to desensitize myself from it now. But I think a lot for a lot of people, in addition to embarrassment, they cannot handle that feeling of disappointment that they wanted something and didn't get it. But aren't they feeling the disappointment by not even allowing themselves to want? Yes. They're going ahead. They're like, I'm just going to go ahead and feel crappy now because I don't want to feel this particular flavor of crappy later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if most people, what you just articulated so brilliantly, most people aren't thinking of it that way. But as soon as, you know, if they're working with a coach or someone who can point that out, like, dude, you're, you're not living right now. You're already doing it to yourself. They're like, what? Oh. So how do you figure out what you want? So I like to follow my cravings. 
So I pay close attention to when things intrigue me or pique my curiosity or make me stop and pause. And, um, you know, before we started this recording, we were talking about this retreat I'm doing on Mm -hmm. the Queen Mary too. And it's coupled with when we sail from New York to England, then when we get to England, we're having, we're doing a Downton Abbey tour. So that came about because I went to, I was invited at the last minute to fill a table at a Downton Abbey fundraiser for our local PBS station. And I sat next to this woman who um, had, she had just come off of a transatlantic crossing on the Queen Mary too. And so we talked the entire dinner about, she started talking about it and I immediately was like, oh, oh my gosh, really? Tell me all about it. And she's saying things like, well, they presented me with 10 different pillow options. And and I'm like, shut up, 10 different pillows, what? And so I get a certain um, feeling state in my body when something excites me. And it's a certain flavor of excitement that makes me lean in. And so I sat there the whole dinner going, wow, I need to do something on the Queen Mary too. You know, so I'm paying attention to her story, noticing how excited it gets me just to hear about it. And, um, you know, I'm there because I'm watching um, Jessica Fellows, who wrote the companion books for Downton Abbey, um, watching her speak and eating it all up because I'm obsessed with Downton Abbey. It wasn't until it was, I mean, it was a few weeks later when I was coming up with ideas for my business. I actually was working on a completely different business idea and I couldn't shake this Queen Mary idea. And it's, for me, it's, I had to pay just super close attention to where my heart and soul wanted to go. You know, one one other thing I want to acknowledge is that, because I've known you for so long, is that you're really clear about admitting what you love, right? Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. know that you you love Downton Abbey. So mm-hmm. that's how that invitation even got out there. Because had you not put yourself out there and owned that you love Downton Abbey, would you have gotten in the invite to that dinner? Right. No. Right. Somebody said, hey, you know, my husband bought this table as a sponsor for, you know, for his business. And I don't know if you're busy, but you like Downton Abbey. She, I don't think she even watched Downton Abbey. She was just <laughs> there because, you know, her husband bought a table at this thing. And I'm like, heck yeah. Not only that, I've got a dress. I've got a headpiece. <laughs> I've got my great grandma's fake fur. I'm in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when, when you show people who you are, you admit to people what you like, what you're about, what you're into, then they're able to to engage and have a relationship with you. And I think so many people hide what they're interested in or what they like or they, they don't think it's important to talk about it or whatever. And that keeps your options very small. Yeah, that's really important. So put put it out there of this is what I like, own it, and then start paying attention to what are the things that excite you. Mm-hmm. And so what if the people criticize? doesn't matter. If, if you don't like Down Abbey, that's not a big deal. But you like Down Abbey. I like Down Abbey. So, mm-hmm. and if other people don't, so what? Yeah, 
if you don't like it, whatever. I mean, I'm going to question your intelligence, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I've had so many people come up to me like at the gym and say, okay, I just started watching Downton Abbey because you won't shut up about it. And it's so funny because it's like, well, you might not like it. You might be more into, you know, The Walking Dead or something else. But season six is so good. It is so good. I watched the whole thing on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I'm in season six and it's so good. I'm just loving it. I'm kind of milking it out because I don't want it to be over. And let me just tell you, it wraps up in such an amazing and beautiful way. It's, I mean, it's just so like you're going to be so happy at the end. I love when a series can do that. Mm -hmm. I love when a series can do that. Mm -hmm. All right. So going back to getting clear about what you want. So paying attention. Are there anything else about figuring out what you want? Um, I mean, I think I've talked about this on one of our previous podcasts together, but paying attention to, you know, if, if you're having a hard time accessing what inspires you or what pulls and tugs at you the way that the Queen Mary 2 cruise attracted me, you could look at the opposite of that. You could look at what makes you angry, what makes you envious. I think those are major mile markers as well. So, um, a huge part of my creative juju comes from paying attention to what irritates me, ticks me off. Um, and then I write the antidote to that or, or I record a podcast, which is the antidote to that. So you can also pay attention to that and say, why does it irritate me so much when she posts all those pictures of her new grandbaby? Or why does it you know, make me want to go eat a whole pound of chocolate chips when I see her (laughs) vacation photos, you know, whatever it might be. And pay attention to that because that's your soul talking to you too. I love that. Just and paying attention. Now, do you have like a process that you go through? Do you like weekly reflect or what's your process besides this? Well, so my process, the number one thing is to keep your eyes and your ears open all the time to what tugs at you emotionally. So I think that that's number one. And then when you notice those things, then eavesdrop on the inner dialogue happening about it. So, you know, prior to learning a lot of this stuff, I was just kind of going through my day. I would feel annoyed or irritated or uninspired, what what have you, and not really understand why. So it really is a process of turning towards yourself and paying close attention to your physical and emotional reactions to things around you and then questioning those things like, why? Why does that? You know, I re- even though most people listening to the story would be a lot of people well, there are some people who are scared of boats, but a lot of people will go, well, duh, who wouldn't want to go on the Queen Mary too? Um, actually, it turns out a lot of people, a lot of people have messaged me and said, it sounds so romantic, but I get seasick or I whatever. Um, but it it's more than that. It's, it's more, um, there are other reasons other than it sounds like a luxurious time that it's of interest to me. And, um, interestingly, I've had people say, there are a couple of people that are like, I came to this country on the Queen Mary too, when I was an infant with my parents and, you know, how fun would it be to make that voyage back and stuff like that? So fun. But, um, you know, questioning and asking yourself why, and then saying, okay, so if I recognize that I want more of X in my life, then how am I going to go about creating that? 
And so what can happen when people ask those questions is that then they start saying, well, I don't have the time or I don't have the money. Um, and th- those are typically the biggest excuses. I don't have the help, time or money. So then exploring those negative excuses and coming up with solutions and better feeling thoughts to those things. Because let's face it, I mean, everybody who started anything didn't necessarily have the the time or their minds would tell them they didn't have the time, the energy or the money. I love that. You're right. They, that's the mind's part. But if you can come at it from a place of curiosity and say, okay, what can I do to create this? Mm-hmm. What, you know, that could be a better outcome for you. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so now with, as far as, because you, you do a lot in the, over the course of the year. So do you kind of plan out your year like, do you sit down and say, okay, because I know this trip was something that you added on. You knew you were going to do three trips this year, mm-hmm. and this was something you added on. But mm-hmm. is that something that you kind of like, okay, I'm going to map this out, and I'm going to do three. I have two down. I'm not quite sure what this other one is. Yeah. I plan my year in quarters. So I map it out. I map out my year quarterly. So I looked at my schedule. I looked at, you know, the family schedule, the school schedule, and I knew I was going to take three trips. And I just put a placeholder there like, okay, third retreat in the third quarter. Um, And I had a list of ideas. I mean, I had Iceland and Croatia and Alaska. I had all kinds of great ideas. And then this came up and that was it. It was like, it's that trip. I don't care how much it is. We are doing it. Um, and, and that feeling state that I get, it's hard to describe, but when something is a go for me now, I've paid so over the past nine years, I've paid such close attention to my body's sensations that there's a certain quality to the excitement when I know it's go time. You know, I know it's like this right here is happening versus that's a really good idea, but I don't know yet. So I have ideas going that are, I don't know yet. And then I have the ones that are like, there is no obstacle to this. Like you could tell me anything and I would say, okay, what's the workaround? Because I want to do it so badly. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's the you know, when, when I talk to people who say they want to do certain things, but they have lots of reasons why it's not a good time or why it's not going to work out. It's like, that's not your, That's not it. That's not it. Because if you really want to do something, you really want to do it, you're going to figure it out. I love that. What's the workaround? Like how your brain just goes there. What's the workaround? How can I do that? And Because um, there were a lot of them for this trip. It was like the wrong time for everything I wanted to do. Like the Downton Abbey, the, the Downton Abbey tours that you can buy, they're not doing that. They do them only over the summer. So I'm like, okay, who does the best Downton Abbey tour in England? And we're hiring them for a private tour. Fuck this shit. <laughs> like figure it out. So, so it's, if you want something bad enough, you're going to figure it out. There you go. Now, how do you apply this in your day to day life? So my, my, my typical attitude is that like, okay, most of the excuses given to me by myself or others are completely solvable excuses. So I tend to, um, 
like right now, I'm working with the school system. My son, Ryan, was homeschooled for a couple of years. He's a junior now. And because he has the most adorable girlfriend on the planet, he wanted to go back to regular high school. <laughs> so as a second semester junior, he went back in and, and he is right he is right on time with his credits and the school system is confused about some of his credits. And so their initial answer is, well, that's, that's not our policy. That's not how we do it. Those aren't classes we offer. And I'm not someone who's just going to go, well, okay, I understand. You know, my typical response is, well, I get that this isn't you know, a typical student situation, but what can we do? Like, who else could I talk to? It's more of a, more of a positive attitude of, I'm sure we can work something out. Mm -hmm. Let's figure it out versus, oh, okay, never mind. Like that whole asking for permission thing. Mm -hmm. No, I'm always like, there's, there's a solution. We can figure this out. This is figure outable. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like with all of this, you know, knowing what you want, stop asking for permission. You have to understand your own personal worth. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point, Corinne. You, I think so many people cower or accept no for an answer or don't bother to ask in the first place because of some kind of belief that they're not smart enough, important enough, worthy enough, pretty enough, thin enough, whatever, to even ask. And the truth of the matter is every single person listening to this podcast and every single human being I've ever encountered is absolutely worthy and absolutely capable of anything. And we have to stop using some elusive, evasive measuring stick of worth. And, and I mean, we're taught it. We're taught, depending on your upbringing, to jump through the hoops or earn the gold star and then you'll be good enough for X. But it was, it was really quite a, an amazing and fascinating realization through the personal work that I did when I finally understood or got that, you know, you were born enough. There is nothing to be added to you to make you any more worthy than you are right now. That's really good. I mean, if you think about it, there's not there. And, and I think that unfortunately, I mean, especially if you look at the political arena, that's not how a lot of people are operating in the world that, you know, that there's the attitude that there's a certain, um, socioeconomic level, like I'm better than you. This is mine. This is yours. Um, and it is that scarcity mindset of I've got to get what's mine. And if we can slow that down and unwind that and come from a place of like, Hey, I am, I am standing here with a heart beating and I'm breathing in and out and that's enough. And how old were you when you started to choose that belief for yourself? Um, how old am I now? So I'm 42 now. So I had to be 33, 32 or 33. So and let's say nine years ago, probably. And it's a choice to believe that about ourselves, isn't it? It is a choice to believe that. Um, 
and I, and it took some work, you know, some work of, I mean, because I remember thinking, well, what's the alternative, Susan? The alternative is to continue to believe that you've got to earn your right or your mm-hmm. place at the table. And that's just not, that's just not fun. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> that's draining. Just not a good way to operate. Yeah, no, it's very, very draining. And so to know that you're born enough, I mean, Marianne Williamson says that. And, um, and I remember when I used to read that before I started the show and I was like, how can you just be enough? Right. Don't you have to do X, Y, and Z to be enough, but realizing, and I know that now that we are enough right now, right here in this moment. Yeah, I know it's trippy. It's trippy because I mean, I was, I was definitely raised that, you know, you have to earn it. You have to earn everything and including your place in heaven. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to pray that rosary and ask for (laughs) forgiveness and go to confession and kneel, sit, stand, you You know, know, Ave Maria. (laughs) It's been interesting as you're talking about this. I think about um, swimming because, right, I coach swimming too. And I watch these teenage girls really struggle with stepping into who they've become as a swimmer and becoming, you know, a higher level swimmer. And then the triggers that it what what occurs within the rest of the team and it's a scarcity mindset because somebody starts to get envious that you went this time Mm -hmm. and what you know now you're leaving me behind but it's like wait a second you guys just because somebody earned this time and is this fast it doesn't mean that time is now only to this person right Mm -hmm. it's not scarce like if you go 55 in the hunter butterfly for instance okay great that doesn't mean that now that time is just for this person Somebody else can go 55, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you make a certain amount of money, it doesn't mean that somebody else can't make a certain amount of money, right? But we get into that that scarcity thing. And instead of just realizing, okay, I am enough. And from this place, rooted in this place of enoughness, I don't need to ask for permission, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's preface that. Maybe if you're a minor living with your parents, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Ryan Hyatt, if you're listening to this, you have to ask for permission. <laughs> we don't need him using this show as uh, evidence for him. But yes. yeah, so if you're an adult, you don't need to ask for permission. I'm always reminding my clients, you are an adult. <laughs> you get to choose. They're like, wow, I get to choose. So you, you don't need to ask for permission and then go inside and get clear about what it is that you want mm-hmm. and be willing to put yourself out there. You may or may not get it, but so what? You're probably going to find different doors, I guess, of other opportunities along the way. Absolutely. I mean, some of my best things in my career have happened as a result of not getting what I thought I initially wanted or some, you know, some different variation of it. And quite honestly, you and I, before this recording started, we were talking about my book proposal for mm-hmm. my next book. And I'm, um, I am interviewing literary agents and trying to get a traditional publishing deal. But honestly, the work or the growth that will happen, because Corinne listened to me whine before <laughs> we started this recording. So the personal growth I know that's going to happen between the time of you know submitting and pitching all these agents until i finally have a book in my hands there is absolutely no telling what the real lesson or the real gift of that process is going to be you know who knows but it's just the willingness to get in the arena as brene brown likes to say yeah and 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 it's about having also a growth mindset right what mm-hmm. carol dweck says is that this idea of 
you can fall down and get back up or you cannot get the results that you want. But what can you learn from it mm-hmm. instead of letting it define you? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is so often, again, that goes back to that scarcity culture that we're so much, we, you know, that surrounds us. I don't want to say mm-hmm. we're a part of because I don't think you and I are part of that, mm-hmm. but that definitely does surround us. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of that, it's what can we learn from this? And that's always just a beautiful thing because now you see roadblocks as, oh, it's just a hurdle to get over. It's not a big deal. Or maybe I go down this path and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I love that. And you look, you reframe it, that personal growth that will happen with this whole book thing. Well, it, and you know what? It It's sort of like, um, I definitely am someone who I enjoy, I enjoy now solving problems. And I really don't want, um, like, it would be nice <laughs> if a wonderful agent um, represents me and a, a terrific and lucrative book deal results from that. But I actually thrive on the challenge of figuring out what's going to make something work. And so, um, you know, I, I actually don't, even though I want what I want, I do like the challenge of making that happen or creating that. So, and it's because like with my first book, oh my gosh, writing that was one of the hardest things I've ever accomplished, honestly. And it wasn't even like having the book out there was so anticlimactic because what I got from that was who I became as a woman and a writer making the book. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the weirdest thing to me that when the book was finally out there in the world, I was proud and I was happy and all those things, but I was more proud of the process than I was the product. Say more about that. So there were so many times in that process that were difficult that, I mean, challenges that came up, like even at the zero hour um, realizing that I need to needed to hire my own editor because edit the editing there was miscommunication about who was editing my book, and you know I pulled it even at the very end I pulled an all nighter with with an editor to get that book on time to press, and I look back on that and I'm like man the amount of growth that happened in me as a person is so priceless that the book, which is what I thought the goal was, was so little Mm -hmm. compared to the benefits of going through all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the time when I was crying and pulling an all-nighter, I didn't have that perspective. It was only (laughs) later. (laughs) It was only later. And so now that I'm entering that arena again at a different level, I'm reminding myself that when you come out on the other side of this, it's going to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you. With, mm-hmm. with being able to look at these things as challenges, right? Is that because you do such a great job of self-care? I think that could be part of it. Um, I definitely am very devoted and dedicated to, I mean, my mantra is that I am a woman who takes exceptional care of herself. And I actually say that to myself every single day. And that looks different some days than others. But I do think, I mean, my mantra is the more fun I have, the more money I make. And so that involves a significant amount of downtime and time to move my body, the kind of power food 
I make sure I have in the house. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into self-care that are, you know, different than just, you know, I'm going to go get a mani-pedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a bubble bath. <laughs> right. All those things that when we say self-care, people think that's what it means. It's more of a spirit or devotion to giving yourself what you need at any given time. And so I do think so, because I think if you're so busy, so the people that I work with or just people that I know that are so taxed, they are spread so thin. They are like eating Subway in their car and, you know, about to run out of gas because they're trying to make it to the school on time. I mean, this was me 10 years ago. Um, if, and any additional request made of them makes them blow up because they can't handle what's happening. Obviously, if that's your reality, you're not going to be able to look at a challenge as a growth opportunity. You're going to be pissed. And so I think that's a, an interesting observation you made, Corinne. So, so I guess I would have to credit self-care for the ability to look at it that way. Well, because you know, your, your 32-year-old self would she have been able to look at what you're doing today? You know, like with the cruise, right? Mm-hmm. With as challenges, and it's like, okay, we can solve this, and this will be fun. Um, no, Mm-mm. she would. She would have wanted things to go very smoothly. She would have wanted what she wanted, but she wouldn't have welcomed any challenges whatsoever. Because what would the challenges mean? Um, that she wasn't good enough. Mm. That she wasn't good enough or she wasn't smart enough or she wasn't um, – or that it wasn't meant to be. That's another oh, one. Oh. If there a, are challenges, it's not meant to be. Yeah, that's a game-stopping belief, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people think that. They think, well, if I'm following my North Star, the, that life should conspire to work with me. And it's like <laughs> life is conspiring to work with you, but it doesn't look like easiness. But we don't need to add a whole bunch of drama to it because of our mindset. And that's what we do, right? And instead of like, okay, this is what's going on. Here are the situations. Here are the challenges. What can, what, what are workarounds? I can't tell you how often when I'm working with people, um, just like different industries or whatever, when I'm trying to pull off some of my ideas and people have absolute fits over things, I'm like, this is not a problem. This is not a problem. Let's just figure this out. <laughs> like, calm down. I like that. Let's just figure this out. And then before we go, I want to um, wrap up a little bit about self-care because you hit on something that I think is so important. Because mm-hmm. I used to be, you know, I was like, I'm a busy person. I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could be very martyr. And I, the, the thought of self-care was just roll my eyes. That doesn't yes. happen to real people like me, right? I don't have time to take baths. And uh I am a person who takes care of herself and I love your, I might steal that. I'm a woman who takes exceptional care of herself, mm-hmm. but I love, like, can we give some ideas to the listeners about what self-care looks like just so that they're not thinking that it has to be this other thing that maybe d- doesn't really resonate for them? Yeah. So, well, I think it starts with, with asking, you know, what is it that you think you need? And so for some people, it might be quiet time for other people. It might be, you know, moving their bodies or other people like my former self, they, they might be hitting up the fast food drive through three times a day mm-hmm. and might need some real food in their house. And so I think, 
you know, self-care in my world is everything from the right amount of alone time. So when my kids were smaller, I couldn't figure out how to have more alone time because I fought the idea of going to bed early and getting up early. I fought that and fought that and fought that. And when I finally started getting up in the beginning, it was like small increments of time, just 15 minutes before everybody else. I felt like I had gained like a whole hour in my day. Uh-huh. And so then I kept this former night owl now gets up at 445 in the morning willingly because I love all that quiet time. Now my kids are older and they don't want to talk to me now unless it involves a ride or money. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I don't have to get up early like that anymore because they're going to need me to help dress them or, you know, make sure they eat and those kinds of things. They're 15 and 17. I mean, Ryan drives himself to school. So it's more, I do it now because of that connection and quiet time I have. Um, but it, it could look like going for a walk. It could look like journaling. It could look like um, making time for your actual friends instead of just work. I mean, it could, God, a million things. Um, it could look like saying no to the second brownie. It could look like, um, you know, calling your mom. Mm-hmm. What's it? What's it mean to you? Self care. That quiet time, that alone time, and I too was a night owl. And one of the things about having kids was that getting up in the morning to have the house to myself, oh, I loved it. It's one of my favorite things. So I have transformed myself as well. Um, definitely having downtimes. And I liked how you said the right amount, right? And so for me, I'm sick. And so yesterday, it was just giving myself permission that I could just sit there and watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. I watched Heart of Dixie, you know, for a, a fair portion of the day. In mm-hmm. the morning, my girlfriend came over. We watched some Super Soul Sundays because I've got tons to get off my TiVo. And then she mm-hmm. left. And then in the afternoon, it was just watching Heart of Dixie because I, I was just exhausted. And I gave myself that permission. Um, but, you know, the right amount. So normally that wouldn't be the right amount. But where I am right now, that was the right amount. Uh, food, taking care of myself is about food, feeding myself, nourishing food, not necessarily clean eating, right? Mm-hmm. Which can be restrictive, but just food that makes my body feel good. Yeah. Um, quiet time's really important. Exercise becomes really important. Friend time. Like I have a Friday morning coffee with a girlfriend every week and that's really important. That's part of my self-care. So there's just different things that I have. A bath is not in any of it. Right. A bubble bath is not in any of it. So, and maybe that's just me rebelling. But, you know, when I sometimes go away on trips, if there's a really nice bathtub, I might take one. But that's not something normal. But then sometimes, you know, I'll go to my neighbor's and she has a hot tub and we'll hang out in there. So that's my self care for me is really in sleeping. Oh, getting enough sleep. Yes. Is huge, huge self care. I agree with you. Sleep, sleep, food, quiet. All of those things are so important to me. And, and, um, oh, there was something else that I was going to say, and now I've blanked out on it. But I think that a lot of people, when you started talking about it and saying, oh, I don't have time for that, that actually is the number one negative thought I, I still have. It's just a habit. It's not something I believe anymore. But I'll notice that if my mind is, is trying to cook up some drama, mm-hmm. It is, I don't even have time to think about that right now. I'm so busy. It's like, wait a minute. 
Yes, mm-hmm. you do have time to think about that. Um, but I think that um, probably many of your listeners are working and they have kids and they might be also taking care of an aging parent. And it's a really popular excuse that I don't have time, but it it's something to explore because if you don't have time to take care of yourself, everything is suffering. I promise you. Yeah. And you can't look at those challenges as opportunities. Mm -mm. Instead, Mm -hmm. when I was the martyr, I would just blow. Yeah. Oh, me too. (laughs) Well, Susan, thanks so much for coming back and putting up with my squeaky voice today. Oh, your squeaky voice is still beautiful and I appreciate it. Uh, I always enjoy coming and talking with you and your listeners are so kind and generous with me. They always, they always say, oh, I heard you again on Karen's show. So uh, I think that we have some crossover followers now. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. All right, I'm back. My voice is better. I listened to my intro that I taped afterwards and it's a lot better. It's still not It's not what it is, but it will be there one day again. So thanks so much for listening to that cracking voice. Whereas Susan said, Catherine Hepburn, uh, that's very uh, generous of her. I want to talk about some of the points that we discussed in this interview today. And this big one is reflection. And you've heard me talk, Michelle Woodward and I talk about this quite often, this idea of reflecting or Mark Butler and I, who the finance guy, we talk about checking in. This, this ability to reflect, this ability to get to know what you are thinking and what you are feeling is huge. It is so, so important just to unpack those thoughts because so often we don't even know. We keep ourselves so busy and or we stuff down our emotions with food or with busyness or with Netflix or whatever, but really using this reflection to pay attention and In order to do this, it's really important to be rooted in compassion and curiosity. And a lot of times you've heard me talk about we're either rooted in shame or rooted in compassion and wholehearted living. And when we're rooted in shame, our brain starts to shut down because we're trying to disconnect from that feeling. So we use our shame shields and we're, we're either hiding away, we're approval whoring ourselves, or one of my favorites is inner gladiator, seek and destroy. You're going to mess with me, bring it on because I'm coming for you. And that's how we we don't allow the reflection because we're so in our what you know Eckhart Tolle would say would be our ego. When we can be with our thoughts and our feelings and be rooted in compassion, we can look at it from a place of a compassion observer and from a place of curiosity and own our whole story. And that be, would be the growth mindset that we so often talk about on the show of, okay, here's where I'm not really proud of what I did or how I behaved. And here's what I can learn from it. Or here is how I was having this pity party and I understand that that's what I was having. Now, what can I learn from it? Or here's how I was feeling, right? Todd Cashton talks about that. The negative feelings aren't bad. They're here to give us information. And Carla McLaurin has also talked about that on this show as well. So, (coughs) excuse me. Having, being rooted in that compassionate place so that you can use your whole brain and you can Really watch it without being a shame trigger of, oh, so you're not enough. What's wrong with you? You're an idiot. Of course you would feel this way. All that judgment, which then just puts on blinders for ourselves. So if you're not in the compassionate place or curious observer and you're rooted in shame, at that point, I really invite you just to go, okay, why am I feeling this? What are the stories that are creating the shame? 
you know, and get to know that. Your immediate go-to is going to probably be, I don't know, or I don't have time for this, just like Susan was saying. But the reality is, is that this doesn't have to be done. It's effective when you can write it down, but it doesn't have to be done that way. You can be washing your dishes, folding your laundry, driving errands, standing in line at the grocery store. There's so many times that you have that, those minutes where you're just waiting and you don't really have anything else you can do. And instead of going to your phone to distract yourself, because right, we can do that so easily. I call that our pacifier. Instead, we can go to our mind and go, hmm, this is the scenario that happened. What was going on in my mind? And notice this is how I acted. And, and just unpack it without judging, without thinking, I shouldn't have done that, or I'm so bad, or I'm not going to look at that because as long as I never look at it, I don't ever have to see that it was there and, you know, shame on me for even being that way because you can't learn anything when you won't look at it. So really unpack that part and get into that, get more into that compassionate place, which is self-kindness, common humanity, knowing that you are in this together. I mean, I've had hundreds, right? We're, we're closing in on about 500 shows, hundreds of people come and talk to you about things that you, that resonate with you. And that's why you love the show so much. So realizing the common humanity piece that you're not alone. And then the, the third part of compassion is mindfulness. And it's this idea of understanding your thoughts and your feelings and feeling your feelings without attaching to them and having them shut you down. And then I want you to think about being willing to put yourself out there. And that can be really hard because we get so worried about those critics. And I do too. You know, it's been fascinating to be in my brain this past week or so because I was around some people recently and they're very critical, right? They like to sit in the stands. They don't really like to be down on the arena floor daring greatly, but they'll criticize and they'll mock people. And what I've had to come to terms with is, is that they're always going to mock and they won't do it to my face. So if I'm really afraid that they're going to say something to me, they're not going to do it to my face because that's not who they are. And then have, have they earned the right to hear my story? And does their opinion really matter? And for me to really check in with, one is I go back to, have they earned the right to hear my story? Often case, it's not the case. And if they haven't earned the right to hear my story, then their opinion doesn't matter. And I have to remind myself of that. You know, am I allowing this person who I may not be friends with or, you know, I may, they may not, like as Brene Brown says, if they're not down on the arena floor getting their butt kicked, I'm not interested in their opinion. And I have to remind myself that. And it's scary. It really, really is scary. But I also know that it's so important for me to show up in my life because like we talked about earlier when I said, you, if you, you don't want to do something because you don't want to be disappointed, but are you disappointed right now when you're not doing it? Are you unhappy right now when you're listening to the critics and we're worried if we go out and dare greatly in our lives that the critics are going to criticize us. But when we're going out there doing our thing, aren't you feeling great? And you're like, okay, opinion noted, right? And it can be in a, um, it doesn't have to be in a inner gladiator moment. It could be really like opinion noted. This is what you believe, but that's okay because this is what I believe. And take that. And I look at that as having, you know, um, Corinne filters, you know, what is important to you and understanding that, but also processing it through my own filters, which is a huge step for a recovering approval whore. And I know that there's some listeners that really don't like that term. For me, it has to be that harsh because people pleasing is just too gentle. And I don't want to go back to that life. I spent a lifetime trying to get other people's permission and other people's validation. And that's, that's like quicksand or, you know, those hourglasses that you turn over 
it never gets full. It's that that's what that sand feels like in my body, right? It never really fills the holes. And so for me, it's a reminder, wait, what do do I think? What matters to me? And, you know, letting go of the critics, there's always going to be somebody out there criticizing. And think about it. Why do you judge other people? You know, usually what we don't like in others is what we don't like in ourselves. Or it may be making us uncomfortable because if somebody's daring greatly, then it's a reminder that maybe I'm not in my own life. And like Susan talked about, getting clear about what you wanted. One is for her to pay attention to, you know, what are the things that get excitement. But if you recall some of the previous interviews that she'd done with me, she talked about envy. You know, that's those are the things that were the messages of, hey, wait a second, this, I was envious of other people doing this. So why don't I do this? So if you're judging on the other person, I would invite you to take a look at, is this something that you want for yourself, but you don't believe it's possible for you? And really look at that. And I've really spent the last couple of years trying to practice staying out of judgment because I used it a lot. And it was a way for me to armor my heart, but the cost was really high. And so the more and more that I can sit there in this compassionate place as an observer, in a place of curiosity and going, okay, unpacking all the stories that I'm telling myself, what's the drama in my own mind? You know, and with these other people out there, there's always going to be critics. There always will, but I can't please everybody. And most importantly is, is that am I doing what lights me up, right? That's in line with my values and my strength. I wouldn't say, you know, take advantage of somebody else because that's not in line with my values and I don't believe it's in line with yours. But what lights you up? What gets you excitement? What can be your best self showing up? Because really, you know, when we talk about creating this best life and I used to get so mad about that saying when Oprah had it back in the early 2000s, I was like, but I'm watching your show. Why isn't my life getting better? Right? You have to go out and practice one and creating your best life. Well, getting clear about what is it you want in the small ways that becomes really important. And then it's really about being the best version of yourself, being the person. Once you take off the armor, once you put down the shields, being your authentic self, who you are, and not everybody's going to like who you are, but how many people do you really need? And isn't it important that you really like yourself? So I'm inviting you to let go of getting permission from other people. You give it to yourself. It's your permission to give to yourself. And that's a form of compassion. And then really practice reflecting and letting go of what the critics say. Thank you so much for listening today. It's been a pleasure to do the show for you. Go to howshereallydoesit.com and join our community. My new website may be up by the time that the show is airing and there's going to be a membership site. It's free. For you. So get make sure you're on the email list so that you can get the information for that. And it's now time to do a shout out to Chris Ann09. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to do those. It's really helpful to the show, you guys. Well, it's not a mon- monetary thing for me, but it helps spread the word. And if you love something, share it with people that you love. Own that part of what you really love, regardless of what you think other people will think. Um, so thank you so much for leaving the iTunes review. And until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.